0: of Value in AI from BJSS. My name is Katie Gibbs. I'm head of AI and I previously featured on our um, AI and retail podcast with Business Consulting. So you might be familiar with my voice. Uh, I spent half an hour chatting with Jake and Mel and apparently I did well enough that I've got my own show. So we will see how this goes. I'm very excited that I'm joined by Carl Austin today Uh, Carl is CTO and works alongside me at BGSS. Hello, Carl.
1: Hello, Katie.
0: How are you feeling on today's podcast?
1: I am (laughs) feeling wonderful. I am feeling wonderful. That's a lie. I've got a massive headache, but you know I'm great. No, I'm feeling great. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's uh, a subject that I've probably had a passing interest in more than a direct interest in, so it's kind of nice to actually talk about something that's maybe a little fresher than some of the conversations I talk about all the time.
0: Britt, I feel like that was a wonderful... uh build the suspense for the topic. (laughs) um, So as Carl said, we're really excited today because we're going to be speaking about intelligent process automation. I think automation gets thrown around a lot, particularly robotic process automation, intelligent process automation. So hopefully, we can help cut through a lot of that and share kind of what we think in the space. We'll probably disagree on some things. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So Carl, I guess I wanted to, to start off with what is your definition of intelligent process automation?
1: A lot of people use words like big data, IPA, RPA, whatever, and they, ha- they have to have their own definition of them. I feel that everybody has a little bit of their own definition of these things and that's not actually a massive problem. For me, um, process automation and IPA and specifically is around taking a process that is mostly human used at the moment um, and uh, making that either fully or semi-automated the intelligent part of that is to actually have you know cognitive capability or decision you know proper learning and decision making in that and that's often via via ai or machine learning not necessarily but that kind of it switches that from rpa which is just like a straight up it's it's almost an analog for a straight up robot tapping the keys to something that's a little bit more intuitive of and cognitive of what's what, what it's looking at
0: so a lot of Robotic process automation platforms you can talk about robots. and mm. Do you think that the RPA platform companies have contributed to a lot of this noise and confusion yeah. around automation?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, that's an important thing for them to do, right? They need to build a brand and they need to build something that people go, oh, and interest them and talk about robots is obviously part of that. So, yeah, that, that causes some of the confusion, um, but it also massively helps their cause. so you can see why they've done it. Um, I don't think you should necessarily, like, everybody should have their own um, view of what that means to them as an organisation. Mm-hmm. I think actually our view of BJS is really nice because it gives us a bit of a story behind that. It's not just, oh, we think it's what those products say. We've got our own view of that. But I, I'm also okay with everybody having slightly different definitions.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the conversations that I've been having with people recently, um, they all have slightly different versions. Mm. But I think also because they've had RPA companies knocking on their door for so many years, they've almost gone, we've got these use cases. It has to be RPA because we, that's been drilled into us yeah. for a few years. You know, it's something around you know, triaging emails, whatever that might be. And it does feel like actually those RPA companies have always monetized the use cases that you would you know look to automate so that people have that instant correlation.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well. It- Absolutely. It's that if I've got a problem, I need to think of their product first, because if I do that, they're going to be the first people I talk to. So, of course, you're absolutely right. They they have purposefully tried to connect to those use cases that people will commonly have out there. So it's very quick for them to go, ah, oh, well, I can talk to that product company rather than getting maybe some more independent advice and understanding whether a product is the right thing. It may well be or not, whether a platform's the right thing. Or in some cases, I've, I've literally seen a company that only needs to automate one or two processes. And doesn't want to go beyond that or might but do them separately mm-hmm. of each other and pay an awful lot of money for a product where they could have done something quite quick. You know, in the old days, we've we've been doing automation's been around for ages in the computer world, right? Macros. I used to write macros when I was 16 and in 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 office and VBA and stuff like that. That's a form of automation, right? I took away hours and hours of work from people in a workforce to to get the stuff done in, in automation by recording macros and writing little bits of code. There's there's nothing new to it. And that was actually really quite quick and effective and massively cost saving. So you don't necessarily need a big product if you've only got one or two mm. use cases as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things you mentioned there was independence. Mm. And one of the things that surprised me as I've kind of been doing research in this area over the last kind of year or so is that a lot of the consultancies out there have an affiliation or a partnership with a certain automation platform um, because they get such large commission checks mm. and it means that they know what they're going to sell before they've even spoken to clients which is really difficult then for clients to understand what well, I'm bringing in external consultancies to help cut through all the noise and make the right recommendation for me and they might not be aware that actually they're getting a kickback from this.
1: Some companies realise the kickbacks you know if you're if you're selling a product in they're going to realise you're going to get some kickback uh, but yeah, many many companies uh probably disguise that a little bit. Uh obviously at BGSS we we pride ourselves on our tech agnostic approach. Uh and I, I'm I'm personally quite attached to that approach and very proud of it at BGSS. Uh doesn't mean that you won't get good advice from somebody else about the product they're trying to sell you, but maybe. As you say, that product is not the right thing, and actually, a product in that case might not not might not be the right thing at all. Mm. So, yeah, uh, I, I value independence in that kind of situation. I think other organisations that are looking to, again, if they're looking at one little use case. Uh, well, then that's too much. If they're looking at a big thing, well, then you should be analysing all the different options because you're going to spend. You're, the, 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 you're talking about RPA products; they have significant costs associated with them, right? You're going to and and once you've started building multiple processes in them, you've trained up your your workforce. You've got quite locked into to a, a tool, and you're going to want to know that that's the right investment for you going forward, and you'll be able to build whatever, for example, a centre of excellence around that or whatever it might be. So. Uh, taking that taking that cross-cutting view against all options, whether product or not, is a very good thing to mm. do.
0: And you mentioned there around upskilling the workforce and you know, mm. obviously centres of excellence have been around for a long time yeah. with various different tools and technologies. I think that upskilling is a really crucial part of automation, just in general in the AI space, so that we can help take the workforce on the journey with us, so that we can combine their very specific business knowledge with the best that the technology can do to ensure that we're actually delivering optimal value to the end user or the customer, whoever it might be. And I feel like it's, you know, from speaking to various companies that they get caught in this whole idea of, well, we need to get experts in to do this. We need to like pay above and beyond yep. to get the, an AI consultant, RPA consultant. And that's not actually what they need. I think sometimes they just need a bit of guidance on how best to apply the technology if it is the right technology, um, and guide their workforce so that they can upskill them rather than looking to replace them with it. So, I just wondering, you know, what what are your thoughts on that? What have you experienced?
1: Oh, and so On upskilling, like uh, I'm a big fan of of helping organisations be self sufficient in what they do. Um, not not that you know we want, we want to sell you a load of people and then stay in for ages. It's about helping an organisation. Improve themselves for the better to be able to continue along the lines through which you've helped them. Like actually, you talked about center of excellences. It's a really good example of of a when set up correctly of a structure that is designed to do that in a little in a way. So, center of excellence is not there to say, oh, uh, I'm the best at this. It's there to help other parts of an organization learn. Especially like if they're set up in a hub and spoke model where you put people out into the rest of the organization mm-hmm. to help. You know th- that whole point of that whole thing is to to standardise, uh, add some governance in, but it's also to help the rest of the organisation learn and be self more self-sufficient in a way that is structured and works for the organisation as a whole. So actually that kind of model is really good in that. So uh, why would you not love that? It's a, a, I guess from a commercial point of view, it's lovely to, to to have people working forever, but actually from a commercial point of view as well, if you do a great job and then a company is like, and you've helped them be self-sufficient in an area, who are they going to look to next when they need to do something? Mm
0: clearly there's a lot of value that both customers and organizations can get from process automation Mm. are there kind of key kind of value adds that you think that people can achieve with it or do you think it just depends on the use case and what it is that they want to do
1: Uh, it's it's always going to depend right but the point of that is to remove the most monotonous tasks from a person if you remove the monotonous tasks you're going to There's there's obviously uh, potential to to make savings and repurpose that somewhere else, repurpose people somewhere else. But also, if you look at a person and you identify what they do all day, not everybody, but the majority of people don't like doing the monotonous bits. Mm. They like doing the bits that are maybe a little less monotonous. And if you can take away those bits, you're going to improve improve the, the morale and the happiness of your workforce, right? That's a great thing. People become far more innovative, far more capable when they're happy. You're going to think about different things. You're not just going to be tapping away doing the same thing over and over yeah. again and And everybody benefits from from having that little bit more space to to apply yourself.
0: yeah, so actually it can be a solution to an overloaded workforce. Mm,
1: absolutely. Well. Mm. yeah, it doesn't have to be oh, I want to cut some over I overloaded or I've got a workforce that you know i've I talked to one or two clients. They've got thirteen accountants, basically filling in spreadsheets that could be automated. I picked thirteen out of the air, but you know what I mean. And, and those—that's what we're doing on
0: this podcast. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough.
1: And those people could be doing far more interesting, useful things for the organisation and applying their real, strong expertise mm. as well. Uh, they're not; uh, th- these aren't people that uh, that are w- would be considered lower skill workers at all. Uh, and they they could apply that that to all sorts of business. But they're just so stuck in; they're doing the same thing over and over again. Releasing that is huge value to mm. the organisation. It's not just about the money saved.
0: But even with kind of more manual roles, mm. um, you know, Oxford University did research and they got this really long list of the most likely roles to be removed due to automation. And they picked them based on the fact that it's very repetitive tasks, mm-hmm. but they haven't actually thought about it from a human-centric perspective. So the roles that really jumped out at me was uh, receptionist and call centre agent. Yeah. Because in both of those examples, you can see how they could be automated. You can see how you could improve improve the process. But I don't know about you, I'd much rather be greeted by a human when mm. I'm going to a building for a first time, But you know, I'd, be for a meeting, an interview, and have a bit of a chat, get some guidance around the building, than have to sign into one of those yeah. really irritating iPads. I mean, you sit there wondering if a person's got the notification or not. and.
1: I like the mix. I like those iPad apps because they mean I can just go in and sign in quickly whilst I'm talking to the person and getting the mm-hmm. information from them that's useful, whilst also so that we're talking about augmenting the person with, the, with with some automation. That's great. But yeah, I wouldn't want to go into a reception that's just got nobody there, ideally. It, especially not if you're, that's front of house for your company, right? You want to make a big yeah. impression on people who are entering your company and the, that impression doesn't want to be cold. And that we, maybe if you're a high technology firm, it's a cool showcase and then somebody can come out or something like that, but you don't want it to just be cold. Um,
0: So I was going to say, actually, you talked about augmenting the the receptionist in that example. mm. And you said, well, I'm going to use a technology whilst I chat to her. i say, actually, it's the opposite in the call centre, where you can use a technology to give the call centre agent all the information they need. So they're not checking three different screens, typing things in different systems, and they're normally chatting because they need to buy time. Instead, they can actually chat because they're focusing on driving the optimal customer experience.
1: Mm. Depends what your call center does as well a little bit. Although, if we look at, I'll come back to, I'll come back to the name in a bit. But there's an insurance company I've talked about it multiple times. It's just slipped my mind, I'm afraid. But, um, but they, uh, they have two chatbots. One chatbot is uh, where you buy an insurance policy, and the other one is where you make a claim. Um, and they are, they are. Uh, I think they have, I, I forget the numbers. Thousands of customers per person supporting them per real person which is more than any other insurance firm by quite some way have customers to staff mm. and they do that by chatbot interfaces their chatbots have they their company has one of the highest net promoter scores and their chatbots are va- vastly successful lemonade that's the name of the company it's just come back
0: to me oh, of course You've, i've heard you talk about yeah. them if it's niggling at me
1: uh and yeah the, their chatbots actually get get them amazing net promoter scores so Uh, I'm not trying to counter your point. I think I actually believe your point and I agree with it for the majority of companies. But a company like that that was born out of that where one of their founders is a behavioural scientist, I believe, or a behavioural economist or something like that. They uh, they have been able to do that in a very, very successful manner.
0: On that positive note, I think we should wind things up as we're running low on time. But thank you so much, Carl, um, for the fascinating discussion. I think we covered a whole range of topics there. Hopefully we've helped um, provide some guidance to our wonderful listeners on what process automation is and hopefully they're a bit less nervous around what automation means for them as well. Uh, Thank you to our listeners and please do hit subscribe from your favourite podcast providers and please tune in to us next time.